Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Andy Anders with a couple weeks to go until Ohio State plays its final game of the season in the Cotton Bowl and just a week to go until National Signing Day. And so uh, two things happening simultaneously right now for the Ohio State football team, one being the Buckeyes working to get their roster set for next season. And a lot of that will come next week with National Signing Day. Of course, uh, the transfer portal remains a, a big area of curiosity for this team. And you know, as we sit here on Tuesday night recording this, Ohio State hasn't added any transfers yet. And so uh, we do expect that to change at some point. Hasn't happened quite yet, but uh, we'll continue to follow that over the next few weeks to see, you know, if Ohio State ends up adding some talent from a transfer portal. And uh, as we get into the show here, we're going to do a little state of a roster discussion here today, kind of look at each position and uh, where Ohio State might need to add, add some more talent in the transfer portal as it uh, gets set for the 2024 season. But want to start by talking a little bit of Cotton Bowl because uh, on Tuesday, 11 different Ohio State players met with the media. And I think, you know, the biggest thing that came out of that interview session was that, you know, some of those 11 players were some of Ohio State's biggest stars on the team. And all of the players who were at the media availability on Tuesday uh, said unequivocally that they plan to play in the Cotton Bowl that includes six draft eligible juniors who I think, you know, we could all see as realistic candidates to enter the 2024 NFL draft. Uh, those being Denzel Burke, Ameka Buka, Donovan Jackson, Tyleek Williams, Jordan Hancock, and Jack Sawyer. So to see all of them commit to playing in the Cotton Bowl, you know, I think when Ohio State missed the college football playoff, the initial fear among some Ohio State fans was oh, everybody's going to opt out and we're going to have a shell of the team playing in this game. And I think with what we heard on Tuesday, you know, that's not going to be the case. There are still a few players who we don't know about yet. One of those being Marvin Harrison Jr., who said last week he wasn't sure if he'd play in the Cotton Bowl. We haven't heard from Travion Henderson. We haven't heard from JD Tuomolowa or Mike Hall. So there's still a few guys out there who could potentially choose to opt out of this game. But by and large, it appears that, you know, outside of players who have entered the transfer portal, Ohio State is still going to have the bulk of its team for this game. And it sounds like, especially if those juniors, that they've had a lot of conversations with each other and collectively talked about the importance of playing in this game and finishing off the season the right way, even if some of them ultimately choose to go pro after the Cotton Bowl. And there's a lot of reasons for it. You know, when you talk about a team, like you said, that, you know, there's the intrinsic motivations of wanting to end the season the right way, like you mentioned. And the 2021 class in general has always seemed like a very close. This is the 2021 recruiting class. It was 
juniors at Ohio State this year, has always seemed very close off the field, always had a tight relationship with one another, it seems. And I, I think that also plays a part in why you kind of see this united front. These six juniors who came out and said today, we all talked about it. We want to play in this game. We want to close things out right. And I think that, you know, that's a good sense of pride and a good sign for next year, when you talk about Ohio State's program, you having that build toward, you know, trying to achieve some of those goals you didn't in 2023. And, you know, we're, like you said, we're going to be getting into a state of the roster discussion later, talking about, you know, some brief overview things of what that 2024 roster might start looking like. But this bowl game is the first building block toward that. And uh, I think it's a good sign and a good sense of pride for Ohio State fans, whether or not you really care about this bowl game. It's clear that the players do, you know, um, to quote Jack Sawyer today, he, he said, pardon my French, but that's bullshit when referring to people who think that this game is meaningless. The players clearly care about it, and it does matter for building toward that future for the program. So I think a lot of uh, good things when you talk about players coming and opting into this game that maybe had the potential to skip it and not take too much of a hit on their NFL draft stock, but also you do get potentially a boost to your draft stock uh, by playing in this game. You know, you go out and put on a show, maybe that leads to a higher NFL draft position for you. Um, so, you know, lots of reasons to stick and play in this game for these players, but still a, a really good sign, I think, for Ohio State moving forward that, you know, we haven't heard any opt outs yet. Yeah. I mean, I think it's only natural when you see. 14 players enter the transfer portal when Ohio State has never had anything close to that before in terms of a transfer exodus. But you start to wonder, like, okay, are there some holes in the brotherhood they always talk about? And you start to wonder, like, you know, is it, it you know, I, I don't personally think that the fact that there's more transfers does speak to that. I think it's just for reality of college football that more guys are going to transfer now. And, you know, I think they had a lot of guys on the roster this year in particular that, you know, they were in positions where it's like they could come back next year. They still might not have a path to playing time. So it made sense for them to transfer now. So I never really looked at it as like, oh, there's like reason to be concerned here. But I think it's still natural when you see, I mean, when you see the starting quarterback in the portal, I mean, starting wide receiver, you know, running back and Chip Trainum, who was expected to play a big role in the game. When you have guys like that in the transfer portal, it becomes more of a question of like, okay, who's going to still be there for this game? And are these guys going to care about it? And it was clear from talking to guys on Tuesday that they do care about winning this game. So they're not going to have everybody and they're going to have an inexperienced quarterback, which uh, all indications on Tuesday were that that quarterback is going to be Devin Brown. And he seemed uh, very confident about, you know, his opportunity to be the starter in this game. And I uh, know to try to show that not only that he's ready to be the starter now and that he can lead Ohio State to win, to Missouri, win over Missouri, but that he can be the starter next year. And this is going to be a big opportunity for him. And so while, you know, we know, you know, Ohio State's going to be about at least one starting wide receiver in this game, you know, maybe two if Marv decides not to play. You're certainly going to have a guy leading that offense who's going to be very motivated to have a great game. And he's going to add another element to Ohio State's offense, I think, right? Depending on how they use him, I think the number one 
takeaway you got talking about the strengths of Evan Brown, both from you know, Jordan Hancock and Emeka Buka brought this up, is that you know he's more mobile. He can extend plays, make it a little tougher on defensive backs to stick to guys, and you know be interesting to see how that factor might be incorporated into the Ohio State offense against Missouri. You know, do do we see some old school zone reads with quarterback keeps? Do we see um, some design runs for Devin generally, or even if it's just like you know. Uh, extend in the, in that aspect of extending plays and avoiding a sack, that's huge too. And again, as you look forward to a potential quarterback competition, a likely quarterback competition next year for Devin to try and get the starting job, this is a super important game for him. Again, assuming he starts it, and I think that's the indication we got. Maybe there wasn't as much of a case of Lincoln being, you know, in that competition as much from the interviews today. Now we're going to talk with Day Thursday and maybe get some more insights or on signing day, not Thursday. Excuse me. I was like, uh, I was like, I, what, what, what? I had that confused with the Chris Holtman press conference. My, my, the basketball and football are still kind of crossing here. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to talk to Ryan day on national signing day and probably get a little more clarity on that. But you know, it, for me, it's, I always thought there should be an open competition going into this Cotton Bowl, see what you have with Lincoln. I don't know what happened in practice the last week. Perhaps Devin has already gone out and shown that he is the guy for the Cotton Bowl, or maybe it was never an open competition. But regardless, Dan, what are your thoughts on that? And do you think that Ohio State should have opened things up for Lincoln if they didn't? You know, obviously we don't know 100% one way or the other. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised that it sounds like Devin has already been named a starter. Like you said, that hasn't come from Ryan Day's mouth, but you did get that vibe even from talking to other players that, you know, they expect Devin to be the guy. But like you said, we haven't seen everything that's gone on in practice. And so they might see that Devin is you know clearly ahead of Lincoln at this point. And, you know, obviously he is a guy who's been in the system for two years. He's a guy who, was close enough with Kyle in the preseason that they let the competition go into the regular season. So it's not surprising that Devin would be the guy who would be in line to start in this game. And, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, Devin being named the starter for this game, if that's what ultimately ends up being the case, doesn't guarantee that he's going to be the starter next year even if they don't bring in a transfer like i would expect that you know if they don't bring in a transfer and they you know let the quarterback competition go between these guys i would expect that lincoln keenholes will get a real shot to compete for the job next year but you know we can't forget that he's a true freshman and i think you know some of that goes back to the motivation that we heard from the team on Tuesday as well, that, you know, they really care about winning this game and that's the top priority. Then you have to go with the quarterback who you think gives you the best chance to win this game, not necessarily who, who you think has the most upside for next year. And it's not surprising that they would view a guy who, almost won the starting job this year and has been in the system for two years to give them a better chance of beating Missouri and winning this game than a freshman who's only been on campus since the summer. Yeah, I, I, I'm not surprising at all. You know, um, having a year in the system is a big difference. Really, I was just interested to see if they were going to open up the competition to see just just how much Lincoln could involve himself in that. And um, I, I thought he was someone who 
you know, given his athletic background, could make a push. But, uh, you know, again, no official word on it yet, but it looks like Devin's probably going to be the starter in the game, and it makes a lot of sense. So for him, this is going to be a very important building block game for next year, kind of as we discussed. The one guy today that did, or yesterday, as, as you people are listening to this, the one guy that did make an NFL draft decision was Cody Simon, a senior linebacker for Ohio State, uh, will be back for a fifth year using his COVID-19 waiver uh, from 2020. He was a freshman then. I think that this is a huge uh, get back for Ohio State, even if it's one you kind of expected. Uh, you know, Cody wasn't a starter all year, started when Tommy Eichenberg was hurt, but did make some big plays and a lot of big moments for Ohio State. Uh, the fourth and one stop against Notre Dame comes to mind. Some eight and nine tackle games in there uh, and has proven production as a veteran guy that you love to build your linebacking core around when you have new starters potentially next year, either CJ Hicks or Gabe Powers. And, um, you know, we know Tommy Eichenberger's gone. He's already declared for the senior bowl. Steel Chambers, not official yet, but, you know, there's a good chance he leaves too. So uh, that was also very, uh, some good news for Ohio State uh, coming out of, of this most recent press availability. Yeah, I mean, I think you could make the argument down the stretch of a season that Cody Simon was Ohio State's best linebacker, even though he wasn't starting. Obviously, Tommy Eichenberg was dealing with an arm injury, which you know I think affected his play against Michigan and kept him out for a couple other games. I think Steele had kind of an up-and-down season all year long. I thought when Cody got opportunities, he played really well. And so I think to have him back, as a starter and a leader of that linebacker unit for, for next season uh, is very much a, a welcome thing for Ohio State. It is going to be interesting to see how that position group evolves around him because uh, you know we did hear on Monday that Ohio State had made an offer to Cal linebacker Caleb Elam's or, and he is going to make a visit an official visit to Ohio State this weekend. And I think that's interesting because I think there's definitely a case for bringing in another veteran linebacker because outside of Cody Simon, Ohio State isn't going to have any returning linebackers next year but have much experience. At the same time, I, I mean, I think we know a lot of Ohio State fans are really hungry to see C.J. Hicks play. So does Ohio State really need to bring in another linebacker who's a potential starter type if it has Cody Simon coming back I mean I mean again it's, it kind of goes back to we don't see everything in practice so you know we don't necessarily know as well as you know Jim Knowles and James Laurinaitis might how ready CJ is to be a starter next year how ready Gabe Powers is to be a starter next year but they've shown encouraging things in limited action and you would think going into their third year it would be time for those guys to start playing a major role and so it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the linebacker room shakes out but with that being said definitely a good thing to have Cody Simon back with how well he played this season Right. And I mean, you have Nigel Glover, you just added this past transfer portal cycle, too. So, you know, a lot of uh, young depth for that linebacker room, I think. And, you know, you have a couple coming into the with this 2024 recruiting class. That It's just the question of do you want to add another veteran experienced guy when you have potentially both Steele and Tommy gone, uh, certainly Reed Carrico gone, who's never someone who made an impact, but was at least going to be a fourth year guy. So 
Yeah, I think there's uh, a lot of debate to be had over whether or not you add that extra veteran linebacker. But I think in general, Dan, that transitions us well into this roster overview, kind of taking a state of things, a look at things, state of the roster, as you've put it, discussion for Ohio State next year. So obviously starting at the most important position and this is going to get tons of tons and tons and tons of talk over the offseason already has gotten tons of talk since Kyle McCord's and you know announced his intention to enter the transfer portal looking at quarterback you know um, two guys are for sure exiting the room with McCord and Tristan Gebbia who uh, is out of eligibility uh, after transferring in from Oregon State this offseason uh, so now you look at the roster. You have Devin Brown, who, as we've said, we expect to play in the Cotton Bowl. You have Lincoln Keenholz, who uh, will be a second year next year. And then you have a five-star freshman coming in in Aaron Nolan. It's rare that freshmen really compete for starting quarterback jobs at a program like at Ohio State. But he's of that level of talent uh, that you could expect him to get involved, Dan. So uh, I, I guess what's your kind of you know 3,000-foot view of this quarterback situation? Yeah, I mean, we obviously talked about quarterbacks a lot on last week's show, and I'm not really sure much has changed here since last week. I mean, we I think we would both probably agree that we still think, you know, Ohio State could add a transfer quarterback. But, you know, we sit here now a week and a half into the transfer portal opening, and there's not really a clear-cut target for Ohio State right now. I mean, I, I, I would still sit here and say I think Cam Ward is the guy for Ohio State if Ohio State is going to add a transfer quarterback. I think you would probably say the same thing. But, you know, there, there hasn't been any real clear-cut indication that Ohio State is actually pursuing Cam Ward right now. Ohio State has not arranged a visit with him or anything like that. And so... You know, I'm I'm not going to sit here and say that I I think Ohio State's out of a race for Kim Ward. You know, I I know there are you know some of the reports out there that have said you know they really don't think there's been a whole lot of communication there. I'm not I'm not going to rule anything out on that front because you know just the fact that you know Kyle McCord felt compelled to enter the transfer portal hours after it opened, you know, would suggest that Ohio State is exploring options here. But, you know, I think the question is, does Ohio State need a transfer quarterback? And, you know, that's a question we might have a better answer to after the Cotton Bowl, after we see how Devin Brown plays in that game. I mean, going up against a, a top 10 Missouri team that had at least a def- decent defense this year, that, that's going to give us a gauge of, of where Devin Brown is at going into next season. Now, Ohio State can't necessarily wait until after the Cotton Bowl to make that decision because, you know, the transfer portal moves fast. We've already seen on Tuesday, you know, a couple high-profile quarterbacks come off the board with Riley Leonard from Duke going to Notre Dame and uh, Tyler Van Dyke from Miami going to Wisconsin. So, uh, you know, you know these, these top quarterbacks, you know, I think really if you're looking at the guys available right now, there's probably three guys you would look at who could realistically be options for Ohio State. And those would be Cam Ward from Washington State, Dante Moore from UCLA, and Will Howard from Kansas State. But, you know, I think the thing you got to ask is, you know, is one of those guys a clear upgrade over the guys you already have? In my mind, Ward would be that guy that I think, you know, everything he's accomplished in his career and his skill set, he's the one guy I look at and would be like, 
he makes sense. Like he, he's a guy that I think could come in and be one of the best quarterbacks in the country next year. Everyone else, to me, I, I'd be lukewarm on adding anyone else in the portal right now because I just don't, I don't think there's anyone else in the portal right now that I look at and say, if you add that guy, he's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country next year at Ohio State. I, I think you, you just don't know. And I think that's where, you know, you could say, is Will Howard better than Devin Brown? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. And so I, I think that's some of a calculus here too for Ohio State is, you know, right now they're in a position where they will have three talented quarterbacks on their roster next year in Devin Brown, Lincoln Keenholz, Aaron Nolan. I think you would like to add another quarterback to that competition because Ryan Day has always said he likes to have four quarterbacks. But I also think you could be a lot worse off than having those three quarterbacks. And so uh, I think. If if a right guy's not there, they don't need to force it. You would certainly be going into next year with some uncertainty, but I don't think you need to force adding a transfer quarterback if the right guy is not available right now. I agree. And the other thing you risk if you add a guy is, you know, Devin Brown, yes, he's he's tweeted. The, the image of the boats burning, which is, you know, to say that, you know, it's a reference to Hernan Cortez, one of the conquistadors um, from Spain, saying, you know, he burned the boats behind him so that his army was forced to stay in the new world and conquer what they wanted. So, you know, you can see how that would apply to a quarterback competition to taking what you wanted. However much stock you put into what Devin Brown is saying now, if Ohio State adds a transfer through the portal, they risk him transferring. Um, I, I think it's still a realistic possibility. We were talking about it before. And now if you don't get a guy who's a clear upgrade over Devin and he ends up transferring because of that, you have hurt your quarterback depth and your potential options for next year. Um, in an open competition between Devin, Lincoln, and Air, you're truly going to see if both of those guys behind him, Lincoln and Air, are ready to go in year two for Lincoln, one for Nolan. Uh, if you bring in a transfer and now Devin leaves, it, it comes a little more murky as to, well, how good is really the transfer? How good is really Lincoln or Devin to complete with the transfer, at least in some respects, I think. And, and you, it, again, it's just this matter of depth where, you know, you want to keep the guys you've had, you have and have been developing, but you also you know, if that clear upgrade is out there, go get it because you need to worry about winning football games right now. So it, it just belabors your point, Dan, that I think right now it feels like Cam Ward is, for me and you, the only one that feels like a clear upgrade. We'll see if the staff feels differently. As you said, Andy, we will talk a lot about the quarterbacks, I think, uh, for the next eight and a half months leading up to the 2024 season. And so I uh, want to look at some of the other positions here as well. And, you know, I think you talk about a position that has changed in the last week. I think you'd start at running back because when we talked last week, that was before Chip Trainum had entered the transfer portal. And I think we'd probably both agree, you know, that's, probably the biggest surprise of any of the transfer portal entries right now because you looked at it for next year if Travion Henderson goes pro 
Chip Traynham was potentially in line to be RB1 for Ohio State next year. And instead, he opted to transfer to Kentucky, where he'll likely be the starting running back there. And, and you know, I think, you know, some people have wondered, you know, does that mean Travion Henderson is returning? And it could, but uh, at, at this point, we haven't heard anything from Travion. In, in the way of a confirmation of him returning. And so I think until we do that, you, you have to assume there's at least a possibility that Travion Henderson could leave. And if that happens, then Ohio State probably would need to add a transfer running back because we do expect Dallin Hayden to play a lot more next year. But if you look at the potential roster for next year right now, you, you have Dallin Hayden, you have... Three incoming freshmen in Jordan Lyle, James Peoples, and Sam Williams-Dixon, though there's, there's been some pretty heavy smoke that Jordan Lyle could flip to Miami, and so there's no guarantee that you're going to actually sign free running backs next week. And even if you do, you know, if Dallin Hayden was your only returning scholarship running back, uh, you would have a significant depth issue at Ohio State, or at running back for Ohio State. And so I think... You know, if, if Chip Trainum entering the portal is a precursor to Travion Henderson returning, well, then you're certainly going to take that trade. But if you lose Travion Henderson, then you would, you would have some major depth questions for next year and would likely need to add a transfer running back. Right. And I think the debate for Tra- Travion right now is you have a guy who you know, has put enough film, has the athletic skill set to show that he is, you know, probably a day two caliber pick. Um, but at the same end, you know, I think for me, whenever I see a running back that has that stock, I say you should go pro because <laughs> running back right now is the worst position contractually of like the of you know the non special teams positions to be in the NFL. I, I don't think I'm breaking. I don't think I think that's fair to say when you look at the guys who simply aren't getting second contracts that are big names at running back in the league, how much some of the top backs just have to fight and scratch to get some of what they're worth, how short the shelf life is at the position, one of the shortest shelf lives of any position because you're getting hit practically every play, even when you're not running the block, all you're usually blocking might be going out for a route, but it's such a brutal position that is so underpaid these days because, you know, it's it's not that hard to find a decent running back in the league. You know, there's a reason that it's underpaid, but it just sucks, you know. So you want to see a guy, especially with Travion's injury history, go get the money while he can. Now, that's an outsider's perspective. I've never played running back at a collegiate level, at a level where I could be drafted into the league, obviously. Um, so... You know, there's a lot of factors weighing into Travion's decision. I will say he could probably boost his draft stock with a fully healthy year because durability concerns are often a thing that holds running backs back in terms of getting drafted and players in general. So, you know, there's a, there's that argument to be made for Travion staying. But moving on from, you know, that's the debate with him. Moving on from that, I, I think you look at Ohio State's roster for next year, and I really like Dallin Hayden if Travion leaves as a starter. I don't think you need to 
go get a guy who's, you know, you're looking for a starting back in the portal necessarily. We've seen what Dallin can do in select moments, and I think you and I are both very high on him. But you do need depth, and possibly two depth pieces, because if, again, assuming Travion leaves, you'd have Dallin, like you said. If Jordan Lyle flips to Miami, as there's real smoke, like you said. Sam Williams-Dixon isn't the most highly touted recruit and is a guy who is kind of more of uh, kind of, kind of a savior, more savior of a, Johnson type savior Johnson type. Yeah. Enters as more of your kind of old, old H back rule role in the urban Meyer offense, right? Kind of more of a scat back. So James peoples would really be your second option. And then you're really murky as to who's the third if Jordan Lyle flips and you don't add a transfer and Travion goes. So, you, you know, you look at the state of this running backs room, they might have to go out and get two transfers this year. They're certainly going to need to add one, I think for depth purposes. And uh, whether they go out and pursue a big name like Trevor ATN and try to get a guy who could be a starter or, you know, again, just get a depth guy will be interesting to see because I, I do think Dallin has proven he can be the guy next year. He's just going to need help behind him. And uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see who Ohio State lands to the transfer portal because they need to land at least somebody. Yeah, and I mean, running back is a position where you always want to have multiple starting caliber guys. I mean, just look at how the last couple of years have gone for Ohio State where, you know, Travion's missed time. You know, Mayan Williams had injuries. It's one of those positions where you expect to need several guys over the course of a year. And so I don't think going out and getting anyone out of a portal would be a vote of non-confidence in Dallin Hayden. I think it's a matter of needing that depth, needing guys that you know you can count on to play. And, you know, we, we've seen it. Typically, Ohio State likes to have multiple running backs see a significant workload in the game. And so, you know, for Dallin Hayden to go from redshirting this year to carrying the full load next year, that is not a jump that you want to have to make. And so I think, you know, ideally Travion Henderson comes back. And like I said, even if Travion comes back, I think you could still definitely look at adding a potential transfer running back for depth purposes. But if Travion leaves, then the need for a ready-made running back who can come in and play significant reps next year would go up significantly. In terms of a wide receiver position, you know, this is a position where, you know, we know for sure Ohio State is going to lose, you know, two of its top four guys this year with Xavier Johnson being out of eligibility and Julian Fleming in the transfer portal. We expect that Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be gone. Yes, he said last week that he's still open to returning, but I mean, even on Tuesday, there were pretty clear indications that Ohio State does not expect Marvin Harrison Jr. back for another year. So I'm certainly penciling him in as someone who's likely to enter the draft. Emeka Buka is the wild card. And if Emeka Buka does decide to return, I mean, that would be a massive boost. And I think you would feel really good about the wide receiver room still if Emeka returns. Because, you know, I think certainly two guys who Ohio State fans are very excited about and that Ohio State themselves is very excited about are Carnell Tate and Brandon Ennis. And I think they're both guys who certainly are capable of being starters and playing major roles and having breakout years next year. And then you got Jeremiah Smith coming in, who 
you know, typically freshmen do not start at wide receiver at Ohio State, but there's nothing typical about Jeremiah Smith, the number one overall prospect in the class. I mean, you've heard countless people say he's the best wide high school wide receiver they've ever seen. And so Jeremiah Smith's a guy that, I mean, I think even if Omeka Buka returns, I think there's a very good chance Jeremiah Smith is going to be a starter for Ohio State next year because I think he's just that good that it's going to be really hard to keep him off the field. And so, you know, if Abuka leaves, like you could do a lot worse than Carnell Tate, Brandon Innes, and Jeremiah Smith as your starting free receivers. I mean, that would be a really talented starting trio. I think you would be concerned a little bit about the lack of experience at that position next year though if if you lose a buka because you really wouldn't have anybody on the roster who's played significant snaps yet for the Buckeyes and so I would still be surprised if Ohio State added a transfer wide receiver but I think there would be a case for it if Emeka Buka left but if Emeka Buka stays then I, I think you know, you'd fully expect Ohio State to have one of the best wide receiver units in the country once again next year. That's my prognostication as well. And, you know, I, I really like what we've seen from Carnell Tate already. I think he showed some good flashes this year, a couple diving catches even. Uh, Brandon Ennis only had one catch, but it was 58 yards, went for a touchdown. And you can already see kind of the burst, the uh, shiftiness, the things that make him, uh, that can make him a really exciting prospect and why he was a five-star coming out of high school. Uh, and frankly, you know, if Emeka does go, that's kind of who I expect to be in the slot next year with this for this team. When you, when you just look at his athletic skill set, how he's built, and, and that ability to kind of use the field and get open in space. So yeah, I think if a Mecca leaves, you're still really happy with that core. And I, I don't, like you said, I don't expect Ohio state to a transfer at the spot. Jaden Ballard is going to be the most veteran guy on the field or on the field, on the roster next year. Uh, who's to say if he will see the field behind those talent, that talented bunch, you know, cause he, he hasn't been able to, get on the field, even when the door was kind of open for him this year. I mean, behind the starting trio of Mecca, of Marvin, of Julian, it was Carnell who was the fourth receiver for this team. And then when you had injuries, when Mecca was out, it was Carnell who started. And Jaden really didn't play like in meaningful, in any meaningful spot for the team this year. So Jaden didn't play in any meaningful spot this year. So it's he's a guy that coming into his fourth year, you know, how confident can you be that he's going to take a step where he can be ready to provide a veteran presence and produce for the room? The, you look at the juniors, juniors that are left, it's Kojo Antwi and Kion Grays. And, you know, I really like Kion as a prospect coming out of high school, but you feel again that they've been kind of buried by this next class. So, in, in terms of veteran experience, it's kind of odd to look at this room and say, you know, it's going to be all sophomores and uh, freshmen potentially next year if Emeka doesn't come back. But, you know, I think Ohio State's been proven it can be successful in such a situation before. I mean, it, that's that's how it was last year with CJ after Jackson Smith and Jigba got hurt and was out for practically the entire season. You had Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Buka, and uh, Julian Fleming. Well, I guess Julian was a junior too. But like Emeka and... Marvin were able to be the core of your receiver room as sophomores. And so we've seen underclassmen step into that role and do just fine. Uh, another position where Ohio State could 
lose its veteran experience uh, going into next year, at least in a big way, is tight end. You talk about, you know, Cade Stover's a likely draft entrant, we think. If he comes back, obviously, then that settles the position for next year off one of the best seasons that Ohio State has tight end has had uh, in quite some time, maybe ever. And you know, then you have G. Scott Jr. and Jelani Thurman, who are left with Joe Royer entering the transfer portal. I think that uh, you know, you, both those guys have very different stories about their Ohio State career so far. One who's been in the program for a long time, and one who's young and talented, and someone a lot of people are excited about. So, I guess you know, with that outlook, how do you feel about the tight end position right now for Ohio State? Yeah, assuming Cade Stover leaves, which I think he will, I do think that this is a position where Ohio State would benefit from adding a transfer. You know, we've seen G. Scott develop into a solid, productive player, but is he the guy that you can really count on to be your number one tight end? I'm still not sure if they're there yet in terms of a guy who you know, playing all the snaps, handling a lot of responsibility as a blocker. I think that would be the big question with G. I think we both expect big things from Jelani Furman going forward, but is asking him to start next year as a redshirt freshman who hasn't played much this year, too much to ask? I would say it probably is. And so, uh, you know, I think they have to decide, you know, is that G. Scott Jr. Jelani Thurman combo with the rest of the guys we have, you know, is that enough for us? Because, you know, Patrick Gerd's a guy who played some this year, but he's still a walk-on. Sam Hart and Bennett Christian are two guys we really haven't seen play at all. They have a couple freshmen coming in in Max LeBlanc and Damarian Witten, but you know, as we saw Jelani Furman this year, they don't usually rely much on freshman tight ends. And so I think if you had one more veteran in this room, you'd feel pretty good about it. I mean, the numbers are good to have, you know, six tight ends on the roster for next year right now. That, you know, those numbers are right where you want them. But I, I think having one more tight end with experience and I think particularly somebody who's a really strong blocker because I think if you look at the room this year I mean you mentioned Kay Stover had the best receiving season a tight end has had at Ohio State in a long long time but I think you know blocking has been the weakness of this position group and so I think if you could bring in a veteran who is a proven blocker it doesn't you don't need to bring in someone to be an big time receiving threat necessarily because I think Jelani's going to be able to be that. But to bring in a veteran who is well proven as an inline blocker, I think would be a good addition for his team. Right. I think even G. Scott uh, might have some of that receiving ability still on the back end. A guy who played receiver coming out of high school and has made some, you know, catches at times uh, at Ohio State. Hasn't really had a big receiving game yet, but he's had a couple multi-catch games. He's had some touchdowns. He's he's done some things, you know, and I, I think still has that potential. But, you know, overall, I think, like you said, the tight ends, it would be nice to have a guy who's a proven blocker and, you know, can just be a, a true sixth offensive lineman out there when you want that to help you run the ball a little better, you know, and more consistently. Um, but speaking of, you know, sixth offensive lineman, guys right inside the tight ends there, uh, offensive tackle is a position that I, I think, you know, uh, coming 
into this year. We had a lot of questions about, not necessarily that they were fully answered. You know, obviously it was Josh Simmons, Josh Fryer starting at those two tackle spots all season. But, uh, you know, Ohio State's offensive line was the prevailing concern the whole season. It hurt them in spots down the stretch. You know, there's some transfers you look at out there. And at the same time, you know, Simmons improved over the course of the year. You have Luke Montgomery in the fold who has a lot of upside, you know, coming off his freshman season. And, you know, it's it's an interesting outlook for Ohio State at tackle. Some other guys in there too, like, uh, you know, maybe a Tegra Shabola can get involved in the competition unless he also, you know, he's a guy you look at at guard. So, you know, Dan, just, just thoughts on uh, where Ohio State stands on the edge protectors there. Yeah, I think it's an interesting spot Ohio State's in at offensive tackle because, you know, as of right now, Ohio State isn't projected to lose any of its offensive tackles yet. You know, it is still looking at portal offensive tackles. It was reported this week that Ohio State has been in contact with uh, Fernando Carmona Jr., who's left tackle at San Jose State this year. Carter Smith from Indiana is another uh, left tackle that Ohio State has been connected with. And so, you know, I think it is telling of the fact that the play at offensive tackle was not good enough for Ohio State this season, that Ohio State is looking at its options at offensive tackle, even though it has you know, two starters in Josh Simmons and Josh Fryer who are expected back next year, you know, plus some promising young talent. I mean, Luke Montgomery, the way that Ryan Day was talking about him going into the season, I was thinking he's going to be a starter next year. And I think, you know, that's still a very real possibility. And so I think that's going to be an interesting competition. You know, I think, you know, as we move forward to guard, I wouldn't be shocked if a Josh Fryer potentially got moved inside to guard because I think. You know, there's, you know, just because somebody's a good tackle doesn't always make them a good guard. It's always a kind of an easy thing to move a guy in. But I, I think Josh Fryer's skill set, you know, being a guy who I think is a better, you know, run blocker in a phone booth than he is a pass protector against quick pass rushers on the edge. I think Josh Fryer could potentially be a better guard than he is a tackle. And so I wouldn't be shocked, you know, with Matt Jones being out of eligibility, Donovan Jackson still having an NFL draft decision to make. I wouldn't be shocked if Josh Fryer got moved inside to guard. Um, and then, you know, your offensive tackles were some combination of Josh Simmons, Luke Montgomery, or potentially a transfer offensive tackle. I, I do think Josh Simmons is going to be a starter next year because I think he showed a lot of improvement over the course of a season. I think he still has the potential to get a lot better with his physical ability. And so I do expect Josh Simmons to be a starter next year at either left or right tackle. Uh, I think the question would be, is Luke Montgomery a guy who's going to be ready to take on that other spot next year? Uh, you know, are, do, you, do you think Josh Fryer will improve and be good enough next year? Or do you need to go out and get someone else from the transfer portal? Because, you know, you just look across the line as a whole, I think that's kind of the calculus here. Because if Donovan Jackson stays, Ohio State would have four returning starters on the offensive line and Josh Simmons, Donovan Jackson, Carson Hinsman, and Josh Fryer. But 
the offensive line was also Ohio State's weakest position this year. And so are those guys good enough to be the starters going forward next year? Or does Ohio State need to bring in some transfers to push those guys? Yeah, you know, it's um, first, you know, talk about the transition from tackle to guard. You know, someone who played offensive line, played guard, played center, repped to tackle a little bit when I, you know, back when I played. It's uh, it is a lot different to play guard than play tackle. And, uh, you know, the the bodies you deal with on the interior are so much different than the kind of things you deal with on the outside. But to your point, you know, I think where Fryer struggled the most this year was with true speed rushers off the edge and getting deep around the end, uh, not having quick enough feet to really keep up with those guys. And so I think he was he was a much more punchier blocker in the run, more punchier. Yeah, he was uh, much more punchy in the run, had... Um, you know, a good initial push off the line in certain instances. And that's why I think, you know, he could be uh, a viable option to move into guard, especially given, you know, he's played there in the past. He played there um, previously at Ohio State. Uh, he's moved around the offensive line for his entire career, but he was a guard for some time and even involved in the competition to start there not too long ago. Before, again, they kicked him outside and, 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 you know, started at right tackle this year. I think when it comes to Luke Montgomery, this bowl practice should be an important time to evaluate exactly how confident you are in him moving forward as a guy at tackle. Because if, you're, if you feel good about Josh Simmons, Josh Fryer, Luke Montgomery, if you have three guys you feel good about going into next year, it might be okay to focus your transfer portal efforts elsewhere. At the same time, again, anytime you can get a clear upgrade, you should go do that. And Josh Fryer... I think there's probably clear upgrades at right tackle out there that they are involved with. Uh, nothing against Josh, but there's still holes in his game. Um, and, and like we've said, you know, he could move into guard next year. If you're not certain about where Luke is yet, because offensive line is such a developmental position, uh, then you know you go out there and you get a guy who you know is a home run at tackle. That was a shot spot we saw them come up short in in the transfer portal last year, so maybe kind of a chance at redemption this year. Um, but you know, talking all this talk of guys possibly moving inside to guard kind of feeds into that discussion next. Nat Jones is gone. Uh, Trey LaRue walked on senior day, and you know, you kind of he's never really been involved in competitions there anyway. You have Donovan Jackson could enter the draft. So you know, you're looking at this. If no one else moves inside, other than maybe you know Taker Shabola, we've expected to move inside for a while uh, with his and he size. He was at guard his... this year. He already did move inside because he was he was he played guard in all his snaps this year. That is correct. Yes, on the second team. Yeah, um, I forgot about that for some reason. <laughs> but yes, Enoch uh, is another guy. Enoch Vamahi been in the program for a long time now um i believe will be if he comes back it'll be his sixth season at ohio state and you wonder if a guy just moves on it after being in a program that long but you know he doesn't really have draft aspirations hasn't been a starter so a guy you could expect to return then so the, the guard position and the competition there gets really interesting, um, especially if Donovan Jackson leaves. But even if he doesn't, exactly who starts at that right guard position? Do you go get a transfer like Chase Basantis? I mean, I think generally there's a lot of questions across this offensive line because it was the area they were most efficient in this year. 
Yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of the same conversation all across the line. Like, can can you piece together five starters uh, across the line next year? You know, even if Donovan Jackson leaves? Yeah, I think you definitely could. Are those five starters going to be the best possible five offensive linemen you could have next year? Maybe not. And so I think that's, you know, the question. I mean, even when you move forward to center, you know, I think, you know, Carson Hinsman's coming back. You know, you would expect that he's a guy that's going to improve with another year of experience. I think he's a guy who, quite honestly, got thrust into the starting lineup probably a year sooner than he was ready for with, you know, Luke Whippler entering the NFL draft. And so, uh, you know, I, I do think that Carson Hinsman, you know, could take a big step forward next season. but you know, he, he wasn't an Ohio State standard center this year. And so, you know, should they be looking at, you know, possible upgrades? And they should at least see what's out there, especially because, you know, they lost Victor Cutler Jr., they lost Jacob James. And so right now, you really only have two centers on the roster for next year and Carson Hinsman, Joshua Padilla. There could be you know, some of those guys we mentioned at guard, potentially one of those guys could play center, but nobody else who's actually done it. I mean, even in Joshua Padilla's case, he didn't play any snaps this year. Granted, the same was true for Carson Hinsman a year ago, and he went on to start all season. And so, uh, you know, they have a couple young centers that they like, but, you know, I think, you know, really across the board on the offensive line, I think it, it all goes back to, you know, it's not even so much about do you have five starting caliber guys, it's as much as it is are these the five best possible guys that we can get? And if that's not, and if the answer to that is no, then they should be open to any possibilities in the transfer portal because, you know, the offensive line is a big reason why we're talking about Ohio State playing in the Cotton Bowl rather than a college football playoff right now. And so, uh, you know, while, you know, I, I think, you know, I mean, if Donovan Jackson comes back, he's certainly going to be a starter. But, you know, other than that, you know, probably nobody on that line should have a guaranteed starting spot going into next season. They should probably all have to prove themselves again to prove that they can be part of a better offensive line next year. That competition, that's what you need uh, when, you know, you have holes on your roster that have opened up and or that cost you in the previous season. And, you know, if you've got to give those guys someone to compete against to prove that it's their that it's their job. And I think bringing in the best transfers you can uh, really can't hurt Ohio State in this new age of college football because, you know, the transfer portal is kind of, you know, it's 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 being woven into the fabric of the sport. We're seeing it more and more every year, more transfers, especially on the offensive line. Ohio State needs to go out there and use the portal to make sure it has the best possible competition it can for those five spots next year because it's going to be so pivotal breaking in a new quarterback again all the concerns they had this year with it i mean if you're justin fry just personally might be coaching for your job if you know things don't get to where they need to be next year you know there's 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 a lot on the line for the offensive line next year. So you need to have the best possible talent at your disposal, but you know, kind of flipping over to the other side of the ball. Now looking at the defensive end position is a place where I think Ohio state feels really strong next year. You know, Jack Sawyer, JT, Chui, Moloa, we haven't heard their draft declarations yet. <laughs> Ohio state lost Omari Abor to the transfer portal. And 
again, you don't know the decisions of Sawyer to Imolowal, but you've got guys on the roster that showed a lot of flashes this year with Caden Curry and Kenyatta Jackson Jr. So if you're able to keep one of JT and Jack, and I think the odds are a little better on Jack's side. He's got a little less buzz around him as far as NFL prospect goes. Also a Columbus guy with a lot of Ohio pride who might want to come back and right the wrongs of last year or this past year, last three years really losing to Michigan, right? I think you have a higher chance of keeping him. If you get one of him and JT back, though, pairing them, one of them, with Kenyatta and Caden, you have a really strong three-man grouping of defensive ends to kind of build the roster around. And even if you don't get either Jack or JT back, those two, I think, are ready-made starters from the flashes we've seen from them just in their limited time working their way onto the field. I, I know Ohio State maybe didn't trust them as much in against Notre Dame and Michigan, but they played more as the year went on overall and I think made enough plays to where you can feel good about those two as your starters next year. Mitchell Melton's also a guy, you know, seen him struggle with injuries, could be someone who gets involved in the defensive end room, although he, you know, he kind of got lost in the fray as Ohio State has pivoted away from the jack position. Uh, was, you know, it was going to be him and kind of CJ Hicks that were thought of as the guys at that position going into this year. And then Ohio State never really used it. So um, Mitchell's got to make a true transition to defensive end or has had to make that over the course of this season. And I think for that reason and reshaping his body, could be really interested to see where he's at next year. And, you know, you also have uh, Amaris Williams maybe coming in alongside Edric Houston uh, in 2024. And Amaris Williams is someone they're pursuing right now. Edric Houston is the main guy, you know, you want to mention in that sentence. Five-star recruit out of Georgia. You know, you also have Joshua Mickens coming up as a sophomore. Maybe consider adding someone for depth. But I think even if Ohio State doesn't add in the transfer portal, I, I, I kind of like where they're at at the, at the defensive end position. Yeah, I think if they were to lose both Jack and JT, I think depth would be a bit of a concern at defensive end because, you know, like you said, I mean, Mitchell Melton's a guy who, you know, hasn't done a lot in his Ohio State career. He did show some flashes this year, but, you know, that question of how much he could contribute as a full-time defensive end remains to be seen. And so, you know, I think, you know, Caden Curry and Kenyatta Jackson are two guys that, I would feel pretty good about as starters next year. I thought we would see a little bit more out of them than we have this season. And so, you know, I still think there's a bit of a leap there, but I think, you know, like you said, I think if you bring back at least one of Jack and JT along with Caden and Kenyatta, I think you'd feel pretty good about that core. I do think depth is a little bit of a question mark behind them, but like you said, I, I think, you know, if they get at least one of those two back, I think they'd be in pretty good shape, though. You know, I know they have been in contact with uh, LT Overton from Texas A&M. And so, uh, you know, they there are at least exploring their options there, maybe in part because they don't know exactly how things are going to go in terms of Jack and JT's NFL dis decisions. And, you know, I think defensive tackles in a very similar spot, because I think, you know, if Mike Hall and Tyleek Williams return for their senior seasons, then I think Ohio State's defensive tackle depth chart looks strong. I think if those guys leave, 
then defensive tackle becomes more of a position of uncertainty. And uh, Ohio State is clearly looking to add a transfer here either way. Uh, they already brought in Michigan State transfer Derek Harmon for an official visit this past weekend. Uh, and it seems like Ohio State has a pretty good shot of landing him. And so if they land Derek Harmon, I think they'd be in pretty good shape regardless of how the rest of things unfold. Because, you know, you look at the roster next year. I mean, even if you took Mike Hall and Tyleek Williams out of that equation, even if you took Jaden McKenzie out of that equation after he walked on senior day, you know, we expect Ty Hamilton probably comes back for his fifth year. You know, Taiwan Malone is a guy who didn't play much this past year after transferring in from Ole Miss, but maybe he could play more after he's been in the system for a full year. Kiro Canoe and Caden McDonald uh, showed some impressive flashes this year. And Jason Moore and Will Smith Jr. will be guys going into their second year next year. And then they're bringing in Eric Mensa as a freshman with the potential to also add Carlin Jones, a defensive tackle from Texas. Obviously, they'd love to be adding Justin Scott, the five-star defensive tackle from Chicago who flipped to Miami. And I think that is one reason why they're looking at transfer options at defensive tackle right now. But, you know, I think, you know, again, I think if either or of Ty Leak and Mike Hall comes back, I, I think you'd feel pretty good about what you have at defensive tackle. I think if you lose both of them, then it becomes more of a concern. Right. And, you know, I think that depth is important at that position. When you talk about guys that are getting beaten on and worn down all game, you want at least three guys to roll at that spot that you're really confident in. And I think, you know, we've talked about, too, the lack of a true one tech in recent years for Ohio State's defense. That might get rectified with Caden McDonald, who I, I think, you know, has size and the uh physicality to play that position but you know that's that's another thing to potentially think about when you're talking about potential transfer additions is getting you know just a space heater so i you know i think that as far as defensive tackles go that's kind of that's the game plan going forward um linebacker now we talked about a lot earlier so so just briefly here you know cody simon like we talked about coming back is a huge add for the team uh court williams is a guy who moved down to linebacker we'll, we'll see if he gets involved in any competitions going forward don't know if i necessarily expect that for him because he hasn't been healthy since moving from safety to linebacker really but he'll also be in the fold along with the guys we mentioned earlier cj hicks gay powers coming in next year into their third years and, and trying to win a starting job perhaps alongside cody simon if you don't get steel chambers back probably expect him to leave but we'll see and then, you know, I, I really like Peyton Pierce and Garrett Stover as prospects coming in, too, uh, with Nigel Glover. The, you know, again, Ohio State's looking at Caleb Alarmzor El- as a potential add there. But it, it, I think, you know, we talked about it earlier. You, you do have a good complement of linebackers already uh, going into next year, although Cody's your only true veteran guy. I think cornerback is probably the position that, I feel best about right now on Ohio State's defense when you look ahead to next year, even though there is still the question with both Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock of whether they will come back next year. I mean, you would think that Hancock is probably more likely to stay for another year than Denzel Burke, given Burke being a projected early round pick. But, you know, I think if Hancock returns, 
you know, I look at that cornerback depth chart next year. Most likely, Davis and Igbenosin and Jermaine Matthews Jr. are your starters outside. Jordan Hancock, you could move Jordan Hancock outside. I would keep him inside because I think he's taken really well to that nickel position. And, you know, I, I think back to a few years ago, Sean Wade, when he played great at that nickel spot in 2019, and then they moved him outside in 2020, and he just didn't have the same success. Obviously, this is a different defensive scheme, but I would keep Jordan where he is. I think he's really good in that spot, and I think that's probably where his pro future is as well. And so I think if you get Jordan back, you know, even if you lose Denzel, I think you feel really good about what you have at corner because, you know, Jermaine Matthews Jr., every time he's played this year, he has looked plenty ready to be a starter. And then I think you've got a couple guys in – Lorenzo Styles Jr. and Calvin Simpson Hunt, who I think they're they're high on and who they feel like are going to be ready to contribute next year as as top backups. And so I, I think they've got a really good core there. They've also got a really talented trio of, of freshmen coming in and Aaron Scott Jr., Bryce West and Miles Lockhart. I think, you know, the one question I'd have would be that depth at the nickel spot, because They did lose Ryan Turner. They did lose Jair Brown. They lost Cam Martinez. You know, Cam Martinez was considered a safety. Ryan Turner was considered a corner, but they were both guys who were playing that nickel role like Jordan Hancock is playing. And so I think that'd be my one question is, you know, who backs up Jordan Hancock at nickel? And I think if you were to lose Jordan Hancock, then maybe you do need to look to the transfer portal for a nickel. But I think otherwise, I think you feel good about who you have, because I think, you know, much like Jermaine this year, you know, Aaron Scott and Bryce West, they're the kind of talents that they could potentially come in and compete for early playing time as well. And so I I think you I, I think the cornerback position right now, when you advance it forward to next year, is probably the position that I think Ohio State is best positioned in. Uh, probably on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, yeah, you could make an argument uh, the entire team other than receiver, kind of how yeah. it was this year with that. And, you know, I this uh, how things have turned around for Tim Walton, right? I, I think that uh, there were some fans maybe calling for his head after the uh, after his first season here in, in 2022 when, you know, the cornerbacks gave up some big plays in the stretch of that season, dealt with some injuries throughout the year. And, and now you, you look at where they're at this year, had one of the best number one path defense in the country, right? Had one of the best cornerback tandems in the country or trios in the country, really, with Hancock, Burke, and Igbenosin, and then just all that they've accomplished on the field. And then, you know, I think corner, you talk about the depth of the additions, again, outside receiver, because Ohio State's always going to, it seems, as long as they have Brian Hartline, receiver is going to be the position they recruit best. But outside receiver, Aaron Scott and Bryce West, were the combination of the those two and what they bring onto the field it probably was the best position for Ohio State this recruiting cycle outside of that uh, receiver position and the those two are going to be finding their way onto the field probably before I would say the you know their sophomore year is up. But, uh, you know, you also look at them potentially this year. You mentioned nickel depth. You might have to slot one of them in there to, to give you an option behind Jordan Hancock if he returns uh, at that position. Because you're right. It's kind of skim as to guys that have played there, have experience there, could play there going into next year. Jermaine, for me, impressed me more than any other freshman this year. He did play the most and probably 
made the most plays with the opportunity he was given. You know, with uh, that Penn State game really impressed me, just how he was able to step up in such a big moment as a freshman, really playing his first meaningful snaps and uh, was locked down in coverage, had a big third down pass breakup, had a big third down tackle, sticking his face in the fan. And uh, a guy that, you know, could be an All-American as soon as next year, I think, because guys usually take their biggest jump year one to year two. And he looked like a ready starter for Ohio State this year as a freshman. So I think the sky's really the limit for him and what he can accomplish in his Ohio State career. Uh, safety now, some questions when you look at just the depth in particular, but also kind of, you know, we expect Sonny probably to start at one of the positions. Malik Hartford, the way he stepped up this year, could be the starter at the other, though Jahad Carter maybe gets involved in that competition after not really contributing his first year after transferring from Syracuse. But it's going to be unproven guys alongside Sonny in either case, you know, Josh Proctor being out of eligibility. And if Lathan Ransom does ultimately decide to go pro, as I expect him to do. I'm not sure you where you stand on that, Dan. But, you know, Ohio State lost, as you said, Cam Martinez, and they lost Kai Stokes in the transfer portal. So it's going to be, you know, kind of a question mark next to Sonny next year. A guy, you, you know, even if it's Malik, we saw him in bits and pieces this year, but he had his ups and he had his downs. So, you know, I, I think the the how exactly the look especially at deep safety for Ohio State next year is going to be an interesting one to watch. Yeah, I think this is another one of those positions where Ohio State doesn't necessarily need to add a transfer, but I do think that there would be reason to consider doing so, uh, particularly if Leif and Ransom ends up entering the NFL draft because you know I, I look at Sonny too as a guy that you know, I think he probably starts at strong safety next year. I mean, he he's shown he can play all three safety spots, but he's a guy, too, that they're going to want to move around. Ideally, they don't want Sonny to j be a guy who just plays one spot the entire game. They want to be able to move him around to utilize his hybrid linebacker safety skill set. And so in order to do that, you, you really need to have three guys at those those deep safety spots who are starters. And you might have that in Sonny Styles, Malik Hartford, and Jahad Carter, but the depth behind them would be very unproven. And granted, you know, they do have, you know, a couple of guys, Jaden Bonsu, Cedric Hawkins, who didn't play at all or haven't played at all this year, but will be looking to try to earn some playing time next year. They have at least two freshmen coming in and Jalen McClain and Leroy Roker uh, with a potential for the third as they just hosted Minnesota commit Koi Perich on an official visit this past week. And it certainly sounds like they have a chance to potentially pull off the flip there. But I, I do think this is a room where, you know, it, it would make some sense to add one more transfer even if it's not a you know guaranteed starter type necessarily, but somebody else to come in and, and compete there because I do feel like I feel like they're at a spot there where they could probably be okay without a transfer addition. But if you had an injury, I, I think you could then potentially be in a very delicate spot there. It's a delicate balance with all this, you know, as, we, as we've said, but, you know, I, again, I think it's a position where it doesn't really hurt uh, to go in and go out and get that guy who can compete, you know, and can, if Malik doesn't take the next step, he's going to need to, to really be the guy 
next to Sonny next year, then you also have that, you know, perhaps a more veteran experienced option with Jihad to, you know, kind of let him grow a little bit, get in, like you said, just provide that depth really, you know, uh, not just football going on right now, obviously. Uh, basketball, the sport I cover uh, primarily right now, Dan, is, uh, you know, they just had a pretty bad loss. Um, you know, it's it was an 18-point comeback in the second half by Penn State. And, you know, I, uh, I obviously I have a lot, a lot of thoughts on this, but, you know, as from, from your perspective dan is is it time for ohio state to hit the panic button right now no i mean it's it's one game in in december so i certainly don't think it's time for anybody to hit the panic button uh you know i think that you know buckeye fans who are already pessimistic about chris holtman coming into the season are feeling validated right now because i think you know they're saying you know, you know that that's what we've been saying you know you know losing uh, games, you know, specifically losing a big lead to have an 18 point lead at Penn State, a team that you had come in on a five game losing streak and to be unable to finish off that game. You know, I think it brought back some deja vu for some people because we have seen this certainly happen uh, to Ohio State a decent amount in recent years where, you know, Ohio State has been in control of a game but unable to close it out. You know, at the same time, it's college basketball. I mean, this is just you know, it, it's not the same as football. Uh, you know, it's a sport that has a lot of ebbs and flows. And, you know, it's, you know, you're not going to really find any team in the country that looked great every single night. And it was also Ohio State's first true road game of the entire season. You know, even though it's over a month into the season, Ohio State had not played in another team's home arena before this game. And so there, there were going to be some growing pains there. Uh, you know, it's certainly it's it's an ugly loss, but you know, I don't think anybody should be writing the Buckeyes off after one one bad game. And you know, honestly, you know, I was going to make my prediction for Saturday. Like, I just have a gut feeling they're going to come back and beat UCLA because that just seems to be the way it goes a lot of times. Where you know, you have a bad loss and people start writing you off, and then. You know, they, they bounce back and, and show that, you know, uh, that they can be a lot better than that. And so, uh, you know, I think it's definitely not what you want to see, but I think it only really becomes concerning if it becomes a trend. If, if, if Ohio State continues to lose road games, if Ohio State continues to be unable to close out games in which they have decisive lead, you know, then it becomes a problem. And so they have to certainly identify what went wrong in that game and i know you know chris holtman talked some about you know the things that he feels like went wrong for them in that game and 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 make the necessary fixes but you know i i don't come out of one bad game and go oh i mean i'm not gonna throw away the good things we've seen from this team over the first month of the season because of one bad game certainly not you know um this, this team has done a lot of good things that I think fans need to keep in mind. But also, I, I just think it's ironic, too, that, you know, there were a lot of there have been a lot of fans saying since Ohio State lost this game. It's like, oh, you know, I'm glad I didn't buy into the December Holtman hype or, you know, these these things that like, you know, I'm glad I'm not watching this team, this and that. It's like you a lot of these same people were writing off the things Ohio State accomplished already by saying 
January and February are what really matters, and we've seen Holtman teams fall apart in those months before. And yet they're using December to write off January and February now. So I, I think there's a little bit of irony there for me. And, you know, look, it's this was the best half of basketball Penn State's played all year. I'm not sure they'll ever play another half like it. They shot six of seven in one stretch from three after being 300th in the country from three the rest of the year. Um, and, you know, they have guys that Holtman brought this up. They had guys that were capable three point shooters that hadn't shot well at that point in the season. And, you know, Leo Boyle being the prime example rose up and hit a bunch in that game shot 61% from the field in the second half. I don't think Ohio state's going to see many teams that shoot 61% from the field in a given half on a given night, 53 points. Now, obviously there's things Ohio state did wrong. I think the number one thing they need to fix and has been an issue for years and has been an issue already this season is defensive rebounding. This is a team that was one of the worst rebounding teams in the country coming into the game. Ohio State made them look like it in the first half, 26 to 12 advantage on the glass. And then they got out rebounded in the second half by Penn State. Penn State got 14 of its 16 second chance points in the second half. So uh, really, this was another game where the inability, whether it's effort, whether it's just good old-fashioned boxing out, whatever it is, the inability to clean up on the defensive glass and prevent those second chances hurt Ohio State in a big way. Uh, Holtman also talked about, you know, he didn't feel offensively they were aggressive enough against the zone, and I kind of buy into that. I think Penn State, when they went into a zone, the Buckeyes really needed some more penetration, some more things to kind of create movement on offense and create space either for shooters or for guys to get to the rim, whatever it may be, to kind of maintain the momentum they had gathered through those first, you know, almost 25 minutes when they had built the lead they had built. And, you know, outside of that, there were a few hustle plays here and there. But and in perimeter defense, obviously, when a team that hasn't shot that well from three, it's also on you. When a team that hasn't shot that well from three shoots that well from three, perimeter defense is also something you need to address coming out of this. But it is December. Ohio State is still 8-2. and two. They still have shown a lot of great things throughout the season, even in this game on the offensive end, showed some really good things. And not a team that you should at all be writing off at, at this point. Um, and, you know, I think this is an experience that they can take and learn from and grow as, you know, the full Big Ten slate is coming up here in just a, a few weeks. What are your expectations for Ohio State versus UCLA on Saturday? I, like you, expect a bounce-back game. Personally, I think the leadership on this team for Ohio State, Ohio State, uh, particularly when you talk about Bruce Thornton, when you talk about Jamison Battle, is better than it's been in years past. And teams with really good leadership in the locker room tend to bounce back quickly in a sport like basketball. And I, I think also UCLA is vulnerable. Uh, you know, they're off a loss to Villanova. They, they've lost a couple other games this year, albeit to top 10 teams in Marquette and Gonzaga. So, you know, I don't think this is exactly a world-beating UCLA team either, although they have some pieces. They are solid. Um, I, I expect Ohio State to win and win by at least three scores. So seven points plus uh, come Saturday. I'll, I'll have a full preview on it later in the week. But uh, for, for now, I, you know, that's my uh, prediction. 
kind of an interesting scheduling quirk. The Ohio State men's and women's basketball teams both played Penn State over the weekend. Ohio State surviving its own scare of Penn State, uh, winning in overtime in its first Big Ten game of a year. And then the women are also going to play a big game against UCLA coming up on Monday. And that's going to be a really big test for the Ohio State women. Uh, UCLA currently ranked number two in the country. So I don't know if I'm as confident in an Ohio State win going into that one. Uh, I think that's going to be a, a really big test for Ohio State, but uh, it would certainly be a, a signature win if Ohio State uh, women can can get that done. Uh, they did lose the season opener against USC, and so this would certainly be an opportunity to show that they can play with the elite teams in the country for a team that has final four aspirations. And so uh, we'll be interesting to see how both of those basketball teams fare here over the next week as they go into big games. But, you know, as we mentioned, uh, lots still to come on the football front for Ohio State. Ohio State and the rest of college football will uh, be signing their 2024 recruiting classes, or at least part of it next Wednesday uh, as part of National Signing Day. And so we will have our recruiting analyst, Garrick Hodge, on the show joining us next week to talk about uh, the upcoming uh, incoming class of recruits. And uh, we also like to joke with Garrick because he is a former Missouri beat writer that he is a uh, Mizzou alum. He's not really, but we're, we're going to joke with him anyway and, and talk with him about his beloved alma mater as, as Ohio State prepares to play Missouri and Cotton Bowl in a couple weeks. And so we hope you join us once again next week for more Ohio State football talk. Thanks for listening in.